Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all of the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I am your host, Mikkel Snyder. And I'm your host, Victoria Vertine. It is the final day of January as we record this episode of the podcast. And what a January it has been, Victoria. What a January. Yeah, 2021 coming in strong with that, like, I'm gonna be, it's like when someone misunderstands what a word means and they're like, I'm gonna be better than 2020, and you're like, well, I see what you did there, but like, maybe we need to talk about what the word better means in context. Yeah, because like, it's sort of like, you, you wanted those like, spikes of energy, we got spikes of energy in both directions, all of the time, every day, it's sort of like, no, that that's, I just wanted, I just wanted nice, like, smooth, like, positive flow, we haven't had that in a while, that's what, that's all I want, that's all I want. Asking a lot, asking, asking a lot. Asking so much. So before we get to the <laughs> wildest new segment, I think, of 2021 so far in the seven years that it has been since the start of the year, let's talk about something that has given me much joy uh, this particular week. There was a lot of news that came out of Netflix. They had a very strong showing in the publicity circles, but uh, truly the most exciting bit of news for me that got me jumping up and down in my seat. They casually woke up pretty much the entirety of the Twitter timeline from the dreary work week by asking if Neil Gaiman was awake. And after I experienced a couple hypnic jerks hitting the refresh button and waiting for my caffeine to kick in, um, I was finally greeted by news that I had been waiting for a very, very long time, and that is that the Sandman television series is actually happening. And I know that, like, there's still a chance, because I've said the same thing about Why the Last Man before, but, like, when Netflix announces a cast, I believe them, and the cast looks completely fantastic so far. So, uh, they have six of the principal leads right now. Tom Sturridge is going to be Dream, and he also bears a very uncanny resemblance to Neil Gaiman and Dream as an association, so spot-on casting from that. Uh, Vivian Achempag will be Lucian, the librarian of the Dreaming. Uh, Jaros Chance will be Roderick Burgress. Asim Chandri and Sanjeev Bashkar will be playing the Biblical Trings Abel and Kane, respectively. Uh, Boyd Holdbrook is the Corinthian, and rounding out the cast is none other than Gwendolyn Christie. As Lucifer themselves, perfect casting. Perfect casting. If you look at the photo they got of Christie for it, so it's like, oh yes, this this is Lucifer. Excellent. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a great adaptation of that type of cast there. If you're not familiar with the Sandman series, which is really hard to, to be in, this far in, um, but it's a beloved book series. It's an incredibly influential piece of work since its inception in 1989, and its 10-volume series is just this masterful collection of storytelling that spawned a variety of spin-offs and its own comic book universe in like the recent years. Getting a film or television adaptation of this seminal work has been difficult, and they've been trying since like the late 90s. And not even Joseph Gordon-Levitt in 2013 could get this off the ground. And, like, if Levitt can't do it, like, we're asking for so much from the world. But thankfully, 
Netflix managed to to get Warner Brothers in agreement. They got the project off the ground, and this would be the first proper adaptation of the Sandman universe on screen. Stream. One of those is correct. The closest we've got into beforehand was the Lucifer story on Fox and now Netflix, which was only like vaguely based off of the gaming uh, character. And in reality, it was basically its own thing where the devil is a detective. Because that, that makes sense. It's a fun show. In any case, Netflix has a fantastic history of comic book adaptations as of late. Lock and Key and The Umbrella Academy being the two most prominent ones in my head. I'm very excited for this series. It's been a long time coming. And that casting uh, announcement is pretty much like a yes. You know what you are doing. Good job, team. Good job. Yeah, I agree. I am super excited about this. Um, I have not made my way through the entire universe because it is incredibly expansive at this point, but I have read one or two here or there, and they're always incredibly captivating, Um, especially the comic books are just beautifully drawn. It is a great story, and I love those kinds of stories that kind of play with the overarching history that we're kind of taught in the U.S. I get that biblical stories aren't history. That doesn't mean that it doesn't get taught as history in the U.S. Um, (laughs) Those are two separate things. But I I do like that and I feel like that has been kind of coming back into vogue with, we've gotten adaptations of several of Terry Pratchett's work lately um, and then Miracle Workers was another kind of like anthology adaptation that happened for a while. So I feel like that in general is coming into vogue and maybe that's why they were like, I guess we can do this. This one should have been first, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> nor there. I think the casting is amazing. A whole bunch of these names stand out to me. My top three, I think, would be Vivian Adempon, uh Asim Chandri, and of course... Gwendolyn Christie. (laughs) I think that those are all great casts. And I agree. I am excited. I'm actually excited that Netflix has this. I think that the comic book adaptations, and I'll even go so far as the video game adaptations sometimes, let's forget that they have an anime department. But When I thought of this, I think one of the things that I immediately thought of was, are they going to be able to do the comic book art style justice? Because, at least for me, because that's how I came into the universe, that is so ingrained with the title. And I think that things like Marco Polo and The Witcher tell me that they can do it. Mm -hmm. So... I am I'm excited for this. I'm cautiously optimistic. I I just have to say, like, uh, Tom Sturridge really looks like Neil Gaiman slash Dream. True. And like it's it's uncanny. It's sort of like, <laughs> wait, did they just cast Neil Gaiman? Did, does he have enough clout to just play himself in a fictionalized world of himself? Um that would be meta. And then no, it's sort of like this is a entirely separate <laughs> actor somehow. I don't know where they find these people. <laughs> now, I, I agree with you, right? Because I think one of the, the major things that has always stopped, like, multimedia adaptations into the live screen is sort of like, 
you have to be able to capture that distinct visual look in order for it to like feel good because there are plenty of times where like a movie will like look good but it won't resemble its source and there is that disconnect which is sort of like I think the best example is uh, Constantine with Keanu Reeves. So it's like, this is a fun-looking movie. This this is not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. But as a Constantine movie, there are just so many disconnects with, like, the visual, like, iconography and, like, the story beats themselves. That's just sort of like, if this was anything but Constantine, I would have enjoyed this much more. But because you've latched it on... I have to make these comparisons, and that that sucks. Um, and with Lock and Key, I think Netflix has shown they can find people who can make these connections and like get these like this is how this is supposed to look, and it looks great. And I'm I'm very excited for this. Yeah. Well, speaking of such things <laughs> as adaptations. And, you know, things that have very distinctive looks and feels that maybe (laughs) would be difficult to pull off in live action. My first news of the week is that Kevin Hart has apparently signed a deal with Lionsgate to bring Borderlands to life. And yes, I do mean Borderlands, the video game that is super iconic and has a very kind of graphic comic book style that is super distinctive almost in that kind of like 60s style where you've got extra harsh lines you don't have a lot of shading you use the harsh black to give your dimensions not quite pop art but getting close but that's we can probably do that in live action it's probably fine And not only has Kevin Hart signed on to this, which he does a lot of directing and producing, and I was like, okay, maybe. Nah, he's going to star as Roland from the original Borderlands, if you have played it. This is the, the main character that you can play. And then the one of the others that you can play is Lilith, who they cast Kate Blanchett for. We'll get to my feelings about the cast in a second. Eli Roth is set to direct, and the project really does have an impressive array of producers, including Randy Pitchford, who is the founder of Gearbox, who is the, who are the ones who make Borderlands. And not only is he the founder of Gearbox, he's also been the executive producer on the entire Borderlands franchise, which in one sense makes me excited that clearly they have Gearbox on board and... Hopefully that means that they are going to present the source material in a good way. So my feeling about casting is that perhaps this would have been a good way to introduce new people. (laughs) And obviously there is a huge cast in general I am hoping that because we've only got the kind of main two and those are big names that maybe they're like, well, these two can spearhead it and that way we can have a lot more unknown actors because kind of like Kevin Hart and Kate Blanchett will will carry them a little bit, um, which is just a funny idea to me in a, in a video game movie. Um, but also just... 
I just feel like no one... I mean, obviously someone, but like, who was it that was like, you know who I picture in my head right now in 2021 to play these things? Not like 10 years ago. Right now. Kevin Hart and Kate Blanchett. I love Kate Blanchett. I tolerate Kevin Hart. I do think that he is a good actor. I just, like, Kate Blanchett played a centuries-old elf when I was ten. <laughs> and now is going to be a rogue-type magic wielder? It'll be fine. It'll be fine. What do you think, Mikkel? So, so we'll, we'll talk about Kate Blanchett for just a second. Or maybe, like, several hours, because she is fantastic and <laughs> she wonderful. She is wonderful. And she's a very talented actress. I think I think the, the lull of casting, I can, like... I can get it to a line in my head. It's just sort of like you had her in Four Ragnarok playing this magical goddess type character who's like very like sinister and thing and sort of like th- this is the middle ground between that and Thousand Year Old Elf like siren magic power type thing. Sort of like yeah, th- I can track this. There is there is some logical flow in the reasoning. I can get to this conclusion. I'm not sure I agree with this conclusion a hundred percent. But like I, I see I see the logic that went into this, right? Uh Kevin Hart. I I I enjoy Kevin Hart. Um I, I I watched both of the Jumanji movies and he was he was fun in those, he was entertaining to watch. He also strikes me as a comedic actor. Very much like this is his fate. And Borderlands is a very funny series. Don't don't get me wrong there. Like Borderlands is known for its sense of humor. And I haven't played the originals. I've seen a couple like VODs and like heard people talk about that. But my impression from from the exposure is that Roland is like the one straight man character in like the entire franchise. Where his existence is to make everything that much more ridiculous. And it just feels weird that Kevin Hart was chosen to play a straight man character in a world of weirdness and like he's also like smallish not, not, not smallish but like like I Roland was a big man. dude that was you was, it wasn't me if, if Kevin Holt listens to this podcast you can come after me leave Victoria out of this but like <laughs> like he he's he's definitely small on not small small I'm probably I, I we're gonna look up how tall Kevin Holt is right now this is a weird... F- he, he's 5'4". I am taller than Kevin Hart. Yeah. Well, Roland is a commando, right? Like, he is yeah. your kind of stereotypical mm-hmm. G.I. Joe commando. And yeah. that, again, is not what I think when I see Kevin Hart. Not, none of those words. None of those words. That doesn't mean that he can't do it. That's true. This is true. I just... But I cannot... As you said, somebody decided in in this year that is 2021, or maybe they decided this in 2020, and then everything was just out of whack. But like, that might actually somebody, explain some things. <laughs> somebody decided to sort of like, all right, Borderlands, we're gonna go with this. Kate Planchett as Lilith, yeah. Okay, who are we gonna get to play the main character? Who has the star power? Who has the charisma in order to carry this franchise? Kevin Hart. Get him now here. It's sort of like 
I've enjoyed Kevin Hart in his movies, the ones that I've watched. I really like the Jumanji series. Like, I, I, that was, like, one of the last films I saw in, like, a theater theater. Like, I really enjoyed them. Video game adaptations are really hard, and, like, they've had a much more, like, bad taste in the mouth type thing compared to, like, comic book adaptations, especially as of late. And the best video game adaptations thus far have been Detective Pikachu and the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. And the Sonic the Hedgehog movie also bankrupt an animation studio in the process of it getting made. So, like, video game track record live action, like, not not the best in the world right now. So I'm curious to see where this one will land. At least they don't have to make hedgehog teeth. Maybe that will... You don't know that for sure. You don't know that for sure. That's true. (laughs) Well, hey, I guess with that, let's take a break and then come back for the big segment. Big ticket item for the week is is a very big ticket item for for the entirety of the month of January and 2021. So, are you ready? Because I'm not sure I'm ready for all of this. <laughs> hey, do we have a choice? Probably, but we're going to do it <laughs> anyway. So, the collective energy of the internet was utilized this week in an exceedingly unconventional manner, and the resultant story that has emerged from a very specific set of circumstances has captured the attention of major news outlets, politicians from both sides of the aisle, and in fact needed the White House to comment on, because this is the world that we currently live in right now. So, if you somehow haven't heard any any of the details surrounding Wall Street bets, GameStop, and various hedge funds. We're going to do a quick and dirty recap of the strangest, strangest story I ever thought I would hear in my life. And this is brought to you by like a series of tweets and a variety of articles that you too can find on the internet because that's where we're all living right now. So, here we go. The, 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 the summary of all of this. It's so much. But, Due to the ongoing pandemic that we've all been in for god knows how long now, places with brick-and-mortar shops have been adversely affected given that a decent number of sales comes from in-person purchases. So, GameStop is perhaps the most well-known of these merchandising venues for video games. Although, it's also had, like, a decent time in all of this because, like, everyone's been playing video games because we're also in a pandemic, right? So, a hedge fund called Melvin Capital decided to short GameStop stock, which the best that I can summarize this as is that uh, you're betting on the stock failing rather than succeeding. So unlike like investing money and watching it grow, you're basically saying sort of like, I bet this much money that this will like drop and then you will have to give me money. There's a lot more complicated finance stuff that we don't need to really get into right now because it really doesn't matter. You just need to know that like there was a big hedge fund somewhere that said like this will fail and we will profit off of its failing. And that led to some folks in the Wall Street Bet subreddit to say like, you know what? We like GameStop. We're going to work together to buy GameStop. GameStop stock. We're going to say that three times fast in this segment. It's going to be great every time. Um, 
So they decided to sort of like, we're gonna buy stock and drive up the prices. And they, they drove up the prices. And Melbourne Capital lost a lot of money in the process. Uh, they bankrupted a hedge fund worth like $1.2 billion. And they probably hurt some other hedge funds in the process. And they probably helped some others in the process. Because the stock market is this evil, evil place where people bet on, on the masses. I don't know. I I hate it. I hate it here. Um, the GameStop stock reached an all-time high of $469.42 per share just this Thursday. And it's been in flux since, but it is still markably higher than the $4 per share it was this day a year ago. So we went from $4 January 31st, 2020 to 400-some uh, in a similar time frame. And it's just, it's ridiculous. So... Uh, Wall Street demanded regulations and bailout money because, of course, if the system doesn't benefit them, they hate it. Investors had a spectrum of reactions from playing the stock market has enabled me to make a small windfall that I used to make my family's life better to I'm keeping my money in this volatile thing in order to spite the rich. Um, personal e-commerce apps, most notably Robinhood, uh, prevented users from purchasing stocks, which in addition to opening themselves to some sort of legal action as a result of that, it aligned politicians who suddenly like agreed on this one thing. Which is just, what a, what a sentence that a subreddit managed to convince a e-commerce thing to be anti-consumerist and get politicians to agree for once in, in their life. It's truly wild. And, of course, let us not forget all of the wonderful, wonderful memes that have spawned from this really, really weird set of circumstances. So, uh, big takeaways. Money is fake. The capitalist framework is fundamentally broken in a way that cannot be repaired. And there are similar things going on right now with AMC and Dogecoin. Because that makes sense, of course. Cryptocurrencies and a dying movie theater chain would somehow benefit from a subreddit invested in a gaming store. So, uh, welcome to 2021, folks. So. There's so much here. If we didn't know already, Victoria is a democratic socialist and has a lot of feelings about this. So first, how this affects AMC and Dogecoin and a couple of other smaller things is that Wall Street bets while GameStop was their kind of first and largest collective let's drive this up. They had several others that were also being shorted by hedge funds that they said, hey, if you don't want to invest in GameStop, maybe invest in these as well or as your choice. And when Wall Street figured out what was happening, they not only stopped the investment in GameStop, they stopped the investment in anything else that was on the subreddit. Corporations that are allowed to gain monopoly are evil, and Wall Street is not for common folk. It's just not, and it never has been. The stock exchange was alive and thriving before slavery was abolished. Like, this is ingrained into the soul of our nation. And it's only real, tangible outcome consistently is the corruption of the top 
percentage of our earners. Now, you can look at numbers a whole bunch of different ways. And so sometimes you'll you'll hear like over 50% of Americans are invested in the stock market. No. What they mean is that over 50% of Americans have a retirement fund and that technically counts as a part of the stock market. This up and down thing that they're talking about where people, you know, they end up earning millions of dollars in the stock market because they have investments and they have brokers. That's about 14% of Americans. This is not a thing that is for everyone. And so not only was this problematic for Wall Street because (laughs) they just destroyed Melvin, right? It's also problematic because you have a new contender entering the ring. And Wall Street investors, the, the absolute worst thing that could happen is that the public, the general public, got agency in the market. It would destroy the entire game that they have had for hundreds of years now. Because there's just too much of the public, basically. They would they would be outnumbered. And... and it's just, it's it's infuriating, right? It's infuriating that they fight legislation to regulate this in any way so that it, it, it can't hurt the public. But then as soon as the public comes in using their rules and it hurts them, they try to regulate it themselves, which is why Robinhood is open to legal action, because they have basically illegally stopped the free market which is it's just what so a sentence. yeah what a sentence. yeah it's it's so hypocritical and it's so anti-consumerist and it's so anti-just the everyday man that everybody says that they want and i i think that something you said Mikel, is really really important this united Republican, like Republicans and Democrats, this united politicians who are currently arguing because they're legitimately trying to kill each other. Like, I'm not <laughs> even saying that. Like, that seems like hyperbole. That's actually the case. That's but in 2021, it's not hyperbole. But they were able to come together for the most part over this because. <laughs> It would hurt them because they all would lose money in the same way. And if that doesn't make you want to go out and exercise your right to vote, I don't know what will. I feel like I should get off this soapbox. No, that was a fantastic fantastic insight into all of this. And it just fully emphasized how we can't curse in this podcast because we'll like ostensibly for all ages but like I want you to know that this would be like the Wolf of Wall Street right now where there was just be cursing and just sort of like a lot of expletives had this been uh, recorded uh, not in front of a live studio there's no studio audience Um, and I just sorry the last thing that I want to add is that while right now Melvin is getting bailed out by other hedge funds and other like rich people basically if that is not enough they will be in fact seeking a bailout from the u.s government which means that your taxpayer money will be bailing out this hedge fund because 
basically they they made a bad bet. This is almost as wild as when a gaming company almost bankrupt the state of Rhode Island. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep. Like what a what a time that we live in. Oh goodness gracious. Alright. Well on that note, let's end this episode with a quick little lightning round as we do every week. We can't get to every single story, especially when one of the stories is the slow collapse <laughs> of the free market. Um, so here here are some highlights of things that we want you to know about still. So Netflix announced that On My Block would be getting a fourth and final season, the thrilling adventures of Monza, Jamal, Caesar, Ruby, and Jasmine, and their families and friends will come to a conclusion after season three's big time skip, so who knows what's happened next. I am very excited in any case. Also from Netflix, we got confirmation that Lupin Part 2 will be coming out later this summer. Disney Plus give us a first look trailer into The Mighty Ducks Game Changer, which I thought was a soft reboot, but it may actually be a sequel series. Well, Lauren Graham is going to play a Minnesota hockey mom who enlists a retired Golden Bombay to revive the Mighty Ducks in order to remind everyone that hockey is supposed to be a fun sport and not an ultra-competitive sport. Victoria's facial reactions are just completely fantastic. <laughs> I grew up playing hockey and watching the Mighty Ducks, so it's fine. <laughs> if it's fine. Um, we got a trailer from Megalobox 2, Nomad, which gives us an aged gearless Joe who has donned the war paint yet again and stepped back into the ring as thrilling guitar music plays in the background. And finally, HBO Max announced that the Snyder Cut would finally be available on March 18th. That's it. That's all we need to talk about. So if you'd like to hear our thoughts on these topics or anything else in the news, feel free to tweet us at BlackNerdProblems with the hashtag D-W-I-N-N. That was this week in the news. Tune in next week for more pop culture. I am your host, Mikkel Snyder. And I'm your host, Victoria Vertine. And please remember to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us out so you can hear more of our anti-capitalist tirades. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>